Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew uh, chapter 13. And in a moment we're going to be reading from verses 24 to verse 43 of Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at a topic found in the Westminster Bible Catechism which asks the question, is everyone who is a member of the visible expression of the church a Christian? And that's really the question we're going to be looking at this evening. Are all church members saved? Is everyone who comes to church, who hears the gospel, saved? And this is largely based on questions 61 to 65 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Catechisms at one point in church history, church history were very, very common. Um, I think we're probably maybe unusual in the Reformed Church. We still use confessions somewhat, but they were very, very common in the 16th, 17th, and 18th century. And one of the great things about catechisms, if you read through any catechism, whether it's our catechisms or other very good catechisms, they ask questions, and they also give answers. They may give uh, answers to questions you already have, and they may even ask questions that you've never thought about before. I know that's my own experience as I read through the Westminster Larger Catechism myself and the Shorter Catechism as well. And they may even ask questions that you may be uncomfortable to think about. Uh, the, one of the questions that is brought up in question 61 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this, are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? Are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church. And perhaps this question is not something that you have maybe thought about before, and maybe it's an uncomfortable question to ask, that is everyone in the visible expression of the church truly a Christian? Now, I know we, we don't know people's hearts. We don't, and we shouldn't be presuming who's lost and who's saved within the church. That's a different issue. But... Do we acknowledge that at the same time the scriptures teach and so do our our church teaches as well that not all who are in the visible expression of the church are truly Christians. I think sometimes we want to believe that the Bible has no answer for this. It does. Um, It can be an uncomfortable thing to, to think about. We would like to think, well, if everybody who died who's member of the church, they're, they're good to go. Um, but it's not the case at all. Everything God has revealed in his word, every single part of it, is profitable for our instruction. And it's, look, if it's in this Bible, it's helpful. If it's not in the Bible, probably don't need it so much. It's in the Bible. Um, and that's what we're really going to be looking at this evening. The Bible along with our teaching as a church, a Reformed church, tells us there is an answer and there is practical use for knowing this, the answer to this question, are all saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? So in seeking to answer that question here this evening, we could have looked at many different passages, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43, mainly looking at the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, The parable of the wheat and the tares, as we 
as we seek to answer those questions, are all saved who are in the visible expression of the church. So, so from verse 24 to verse 43, let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it come? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both gather together, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the the tares And bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them saying. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Which a man took and sowed in his field. Which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown. It is greater than the herbs. And becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And those who practice lawlessness will cast them into the furnace of fire There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. This is a difficult question to ask, no doubt. And I think it's probably a question that many of us would prefer not to. To think about question 61 once again are all they saved to hear the gospel and live in the church and the teaching of our church is clear that all that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved but they only who are true members of the church 
invisible. Invisible. There can be a teaching that exists, and it exists in various different denominations, especially very historic denominations that might have been there for hundreds of years, that can begin to presume that everybody who's on either the membership role or attends church, that presumes that they're all saved. And that to preach to those people is foolish. And this can creep into, you know, formerly good denominations. This can happen in various different places. Rather than recognizing that the church on earth until the end of the age, will always have a mixed characteristic to it. It did at the time of Jesus, it did before the time of Jesus, and it will right up until the end of the age. Actually, in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, they are not all Israel that are of Israel. It talks about, there's one Israel, but they're not all Israel who are of Israel. There's a visible Israel, and there's an in Visible Israel. This happened in the Old Testament as well. God does promise. I know we might think of the promises in a lot of these denominations. When they get into this trouble you could say. They do think of the promises. And they should think of the promises. Yes God promises to be God unto you and unto your children. That is true. However there's also warnings in scripture. That if anybody departs through unbelief then they have never truly been born again. Now again, I keep emphasizing, we cannot know people's hearts. I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous if we presume everybody's saved. But it's dangerous if we try to think, ah, it's him. Ah, he's not saved. We don't know. This is also the point I'm trying to make this evening. I'm not saying we try to get in people's hearts. That never works, and it, it never should be done. However... We also recognize that there's a need for the gospel not only to be preached to the world out there, but to be preached in here. So it does have a very practical and sensible way. It's not that we think, oh, well, is he lost or is he saved? Sometimes we don't really know. But the gospel must be preached within the visible church because there's a mixed nature to it. And also, think, we think about our own children. We don't presume that they're regenerate from the womb. We don't know. We also don't presume that they're lost. It's a, it's a difficult thing, actually, to deal with. Children of believers. They may have been like John the Baptist, born again of the Spirit in their mother's womb. That's possible. But it's also possible that they are not regenerate as you're speaking to them. So what do you do? You share the gospel with them and you ask, you call them to trust in Jesus. But you also teach them to pray. You don't treat them as if they're heathen either. You don't treat them as if they're outside the visible church. So the, these things are not easy that I'm talking about this evening here. These things are not easy, but they are important and they do have, uh, they do have an impact in how we interact with the visible church and how we interact with the world around us. Now we're going to look at this passage under four headings from verse 24 onwards. Looking at the tares among the wheat. The tares among the wheat. Number one, we're going to look at the sores. There's two sores. Um, verse 24 and verse 
25. Another parable we put forth to them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. There's two different sores. And also verse 26, it says, But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. But notice how the tares don't appear until the crop is produced. You don't see it before then. And the work of the enemy is different. There's a sore that works, you could say, very openly. But then there's another one that works secretly. Unknown. Invisible, you could say, in this aspect. Parables are very important as well. It talks about why does Jesus speak so much in parables? I think sometimes we just think that the parables are cute stories that grab people's attention. But that's not the reason that they were given. If you look at the scriptures, they were given often to show it to people with faith and to blind the eyes of those who are hardened of heart. Which is often the complete opposite of what we think of the, the parables. They were to reveal to those of faith. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 13, same chapter again, verses 10 and 11, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The parables actually make a distinction. There's almost a sense in which they reveal and bless those to whom they have eyes to see and ears to hear. But to everyone else, it goes right over their head and they can't make head nor tails of it. And that's, that's the experience of most people when they come to this book. When they come to the Bible, it doesn't make any sense to them until they're born again. Until they're saved. This is a... A sealed book almost to people unless they have eyes to see and ears to hear. The work of one sower, the son of man has been identified later, is open. It's in the light. The other one is when, when, when men slept. And what, what happens? When you, when you think of in the world, men sleep. And that's usually when people steal in. and You know, like thieves will work at night because they're trying to do it secretly. But this work of the Son of Man is done out in the open. It's it's a work of light. It says in verse 37, He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. He does it openly. He's nothing to hide. It is a work of light. Darkness hides. Um... I remember reading years ago that the crime rate in London fell dramatically when they started putting streetlights on the streets. Sin loves darkness, but doesn't like light very much. And this, now we have to remember, this is a parable. It's not saying when people are physically asleep that this is what happens. But it's speaking about Christ spoke and did his work openly and honestly. The enemy doesn't do it 
openly and honestly. He does it in secret. He does it hidden. He does it in the hearts of men. And he does it deceptively. He doesn't want this enemy who comes in. He doesn't want those who are not truly born again to be made known. This is a very secret work almost. The Son of Man always tells the truth, shares light. The enemy works secretly, deceptively, and in darkness. It says in John 3, verses 19 and 20, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The enemy comes in secret and in darkness. In verses 38 and 39 of our text, verses 38 and 39 of our text, it says, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. This is the part we're looking at here, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age or the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. That word there, end of the aeon. It, I think in the, the King James it used to be translated end of the world. The idea is the end of time. When time ends, that's when the harvest will be. When the new heavens and the new earth come in, that's when the harvest will be. Now, the work of the Son of Man, in some ways, it's very obvious, it's very open. And what I mean by that is this, it's a work of light. If true revival comes, it's evidenced by people turning from their sin. If this true revival comes, it's not just excitement and people staying up late. There will be a bit of that too, praying and other things. But it will be evidenced by a change in life, could even say a lot of the places that were based upon sinful business, gambling places, other things like that, they'll be shut down. That's probably one of the things that will happen. Uh, drunkenness will dramatically de- decrease. All sorts of evidences that the Spirit of God is at work in a town or a village or a city or whatever else it is. So they'll be changing from darkness to light. However, the devil always seeks to counterfeit. If you actually look through the Bible, the devil is constantly seeking to counterfeit everything God does. The work of the devil is not always obvious. He will be exposed completely at the end of time when Christ returns to judge, but not until then. And it's a sobering reality, can't it, that we could be potentially next to people our whole lives who outwardly act, look, and for all intents and purposes, look like Christians, act like Christians, come to all the meetings, and yet may spend an eternity in hell because they've never been truly born again. It's a sobering reality. It was the case 2,000 years ago. I always think of, when people think of the, the apostle Judas, people forget that Judas was an apostle. We have these pictures of Judas in our minds and sometimes in, in artwork where Judas is this shifty character with black eyes and he's plotting. No, Judas just looked like everybody else. When, when Jesus said somebody would betray him, nobody said, I asked Judas. Of course it is. Is it I? They asked. 
So Judas did not stand out as an obvious false convert. It became very evident later that he was a false convert. This is why, dear friends, we must trust this. We must compare everything with this. So no matter their office, no matter the reputation of any man, he must, everything must be tested against the light of the word of truth. Because of this terrifying reality that the devil is even at work in our midst. So we looked at the sores. There's the, the two sores, the son of man and the devil. There's the, two, there's the, the seeds. Number two now, the man The son of man sows, and what the enemy sows is different. So there's two different seeds at work here. The enemy brings in bad seed. He does it secretly. Uh, But the son of man brings in good seed, and he does it openly. It's honest. You see, the good seed, the sons of the kingdom, it's honest. They're honest to who they truly are. The, the, The sons of the wicked one are being dishonest. And they're not truly what they say that they are. Very different results. The good seed is spread by evangelism. It's spread by God's power. Now, one of, this is one of the reasons why we can't presume, um, you know, we, we come to, to evangelism, we come to young people. We must impress upon them. It can be hard for Young people, when they grow up in a Christian home, they will struggle. A lot of them will struggle if they're truly a believer. It's, it's different for somebody like me who got saved when they were 24. They can see a big change. And they can often, oh, I used to do this, and now I no longer do this. This kind of things that reassure us. But it's, it's very hard for a person from a Christian home. They may never know a time when they didn't believe. So they'll often, true believer from a Christian home, will often struggle to know whether they're born again. While we we sympathize with people in that situation, we must. We can't give them a shortcut and kind of go, ah, you're all right. And there's different means of doing that. It's possible to grow up in a Christian home and not know the Lord. It's possible to hear the gospel and never truly repented of your sins. So that when we're among children of a Christian background, it's never foolish to share the gospel with them and point them towards Christ and to warn them of the danger of fleeing from Christ. We do not know, so we share. The gospel needs to be preached every Sabbath. And it doesn't mean we're we're preaching John 3.16 sermons every single Sabbath. (laughs) The gospel can be found in Genesis 1. The gospel can be found... In every chapter of the Bible. All men everywhere have to repent. Even even this passage we're looking at here. Points out that there are two people. There are two types of people within the kingdom. They're going to be separated at the end of time. And what separates them is one has a work of God done in them. The other one is a seed planted by the enemy. Planting them in the midst of that same field of other believers. And this work, at the beginning, it's under the surface. If you plant seeds, you plant it under the ground, but you can't see what's going on under the ground. 
It's only later that you see what it produces at the crop, at the very end of the harvest, and the sons of the wicked one. But we must realize that the enemy is at work. Question 61, once again, are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? All they that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved. But they only who are true members of the church invisible. That is those, we must not think of that as two churches. There's one church, but there's two aspects to that one church. There's an aspect we can see, the visible membership. We treat them as believers, because for all intents and purposes, that's the way Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, as bad as they were at times, he treats them as believers. When he's writing to the Galatians, he's treating them as believers. However, there's an aspect we don't see and we don't know. And that's the invisible church. Those who are truly part of Christ's body. It says in question 62, what is the visible church? The visible church is a society made up of all such, as in all ages, places of the world, do profess the true religion. Notice how it's the true religion. And of their children. So it's those who profess the truth. The truth. We treat them as believers, but realizing among them there will be a mixed multitude. So we've looked at the sowers, the seeds, now we're going to look at the spread. The spread. You might have noticed as we were reading through this, it doesn't just speak about tares among the wheat, it also deals with two other parables. The parable of the, the mustard seed is one, and the parable of the leaven is the other, or in modern English, should be yeast. These two parables also give us hope, encouragement for the work of this seed. Now, there are many today who believe in end times and say the world is just going to get worse and worse. And we just, you know, Jesus will sort it out when he gets back. Verse 31 says this, verse 31 and verse 32. Another parable he put forth to them. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed it in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Notice how it's saying there. Which a man took and sowed it in his field, which indeed is the least of all The seeds. So that view, a view I actually used to hold for a couple of years after I saved, you know, you you look at certain passages, it looks possible. Oh, well, the world's just going to get worse and worse, then Jesus will return and fix everything. But that's not the the the, it's not the, the picture given in Scripture. The gospel, it may look small, minuscule, un impressive even, will spread. It will grow. The kingdom with its seeds, being the sons of the kingdom, that will spread. That will grow. Those adopted into God's family, that will spread. Um, A mustard seed, I've never seen a mustard seed in real life. (laughs) I've only had to Google it. It's a tiny, tiny little seed. It's, It's so small. It is so small. And... You wouldn't actually, if you saw it 
in somebody's hand today, you'd think it was a piece of dirt almost. It was just, it's just really, really small. And it, you'd think, what's this going to do? This isn't going to do much. Put it in the ground? What will happen? It will grow. It will put, become a tree. Like you don't look to a mustard seed and look for shelter, do you? It's not going to do you very much you know, help when it's starting to rain. But it becomes far greater than anything else in the world. So much so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. They look for shelter and rest in it. The, basically what this parable is saying is, what it looks like initially will not be what it, what it inevitably becomes. We, we have to look at that seed, not with the, eye, the physical eye, but with the eye of faith. If we look at it with the physical eye only, we'll give up. Ah, there's no point. But if we look at it with the eye of faith, we'll know that a multitude will come to know Christ in the future of every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's where we have to look at the seed and the planting of the seed. The spread, the spread of this. Yes, there's a mixed multitude within the church, but the good seed, the seed of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, it will spread. It will spread. Not without difficulty, not without challenge, but it will spread. Far from advancing or far from retreating, the kingdom goes forward. And that's the, that's the picture almost you're given. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ goes forward putting his enemies under his feet. And the final enemy defeated will be death itself. But remember how I said, it does not look impressive. Knocking on doors and calling people to come to church. You know, you might have asked hundreds of people to come to church. Maybe one will come. It won't look impressive, will it? Um, you know, people give out tracts. Maybe 99% of them end up in the bin. It doesn't look impressive. Maybe you, you support somebody who does open air preaching. It looks feeble. Ah, nobody's listening. It doesn't look impressive with the human eye. But what will it become? What will it become? This gospel and the preaching of it, we've largely lost confidence in it. The, the church today in the West has largely lost confidence in what the church has done for centuries, preached the truth. If you actually look at most statistics, and I'm not a big fan of looking at statistics and saying, how did you come to know the Lord? But most of them say they came to know the Lord through preaching. Um, and even in the Bible, how did most people come to know the Lord? Through preaching. How many people came on Pentecost? Thousands of them came through the preaching of Peter. We don't believe in preaching anymore. We've relegated preaching almost to the idea of a slightly better Bible study. And that's something the church has to change in. I'm talking about the wider church now. Especially in the West. It may look unimpressive. But the crop will be impressive. Look at the next parable it looks in verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Till it was all leavened. Now leaven we will often think of what? If we think of the word leaven, we often think of sin, don't we? But it, it's not always sin. 
depends. You have to really look at what it's saying. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Not sin. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Leaven or yeast is something that is put into bread dough and it spreads and grows. And all of it becomes leaven. That's the picture. The picture is not... Well, leaven looks really small and looks like it's not going to do very much. But it spreads everywhere. And its work is underneath the surface. But once it produces its change in the dough, well, it's changed. And when the gospel spreads, it changes communities. It changes towns. It changes nations. The gospel, hundreds of years ago during the Reformation, changed these islands. Not as much as we would have liked. Lots of this island didn't even get the gospel. Not much of the gospel preaching anyway. But Scotland, England, this island of Ireland, there was a lot of people who came over um, from Scotland and other places. It changed how people looked at the word of God it will spread even further the thing is friends we look back at the reformation we look back at other eras we look back at revival the bible is telling us this there's better days to come there are better days to come but there's also a day of separation to come it's, uh, and this is our last point we're going to look at. The sores, the seeds, the spread. Finally, number four, the separation. The separation. If you've trusted in Christ, you will never be separated from his love. Never, ever, ever. It's an unbreakable bond that can never be broken. It can't be broken by you or by anybody else if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. However, there will be a separation coming at the end of time where the wheat will be separated from the tares. That, that day will come. When it will become very obvious what is the wheat and what is the tares. At this moment in time, as the, they're growing up, it's actually very hard to tell what is a wheat and what is a tear. I remember, I think I was walking through a, a wheat field, and I think it was about, I don't know how high it was, it was very, very low to the ground. And it was very hard to tell what the weeds were and what the wheat, and what the wheat was. It's only at the very end you can tell very clearly the fruit on one is very different to the other. It's only at the harvest that the the evidence is clearly seen. One has good fruit, one does not. One is desirable, one is undesirable. Look at what it says in verse 39. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of this age. Now, we think about a weed. A weed is something undesirable and it isn't fit for purpose. When, when you grow crops, you don't want the tares. You don't want the weeds. You, you want them gone. And what was our purpose in being created? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I always think about, well, what if you, you've made something? I don't know, you've made a computer, but the computer is on the blink. It doesn't work anymore. What happens to it? It's thrown out. It's no more good. The tares are no good. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned. 
They're undesirable. They're not doing what the crop is seeking to do. The, the wheat are those, it says, verse 43, then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is the wheat. This is the good fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. However, the tares, these, these, this seed that is very small as well and has been planted secretly because it, it's not desired, this is verse 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. Notice this is out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. You see, the, there'll be no separation of the wheat and the tares, at least entirely, until the end. Maybe you might get some people who are tares and they may leave through unbelief. But not everybody's going to do that. At the end of the world, there's going to be something that could not be separated before. In verse 29, it says this, but he who said, um, sorry, verse 28, but said to him, the enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? The servants have learned that there's tares. What do you want to do when you hear about tares? Just say you, just say you learn. This is all. You learn for whatever reason that you have 100 members and 10 of them are not believers. What would you want to do if you, if you, if you did hear that? Well, you've got to find out who they are. They shouldn't be on the membership rule. That would be our natural way of thinking. But we can't know that. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Verse 29, but he said, no. That's why you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. You see, if you're seeking to find out who's lost, you're also going to do damage to the wheat as well. It's only at the very end. I always think about how did Jesus interact with Judas, knowing who he was? Did Jesus say, that's the guy right there? He didn't treat him any different outwardly at least, to any other believer. Even though he was a false convert. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Matthew seven twenty one to 23, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then will I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus said that. And then he also said in, this, in our text here, those whom will be gathered out of the kingdom, all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. It's the same people. They will be gathered out at the end of time. That takes the pressure off of us. It's not us, our responsibility to find out who they are. But it's our responsibility as believers to be faithful and to be, verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Our challenge as believers in Jesus Christ is not to act like other Christians in Northern Ireland. It's to act like Christ. You see the difference? There's a major difference. Our challenge is to be like Christ. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it said this, 
verse 20, uh, chapter 25, paragraph 5. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And this, you could say what I just said in the, the best church. If you find the best church on planet earth, it will still have mixture and error. It will still have tares among the wheat. It doesn't matter how strong the church is. It will never be free of this completely. And the Westminster divines and the Westminster Assembly understood this. And that is why the gospel must be preached. The gospel must be shared in our homes. The next generation must be, it must be impressed upon them with every opportunity that we have to trust in Jesus. Not just presuming that they know him. We pray that they do know him. But we impress upon them to trust him, to forsake their sin and to not depart through unbelief. The work, it may look unimpressive. It may look like a mustard seed. It may look tiny and look like it'll do nothing. But we plant it, we water it, the Lord brings this increase and it, will, it won't be a tiny mustard seed forever. It will be a tree. And it will look far greater than anything we'd ever imagined it could become. We have to. And if we're going to plant those seeds, friends, we have to, have to, have to have confidence in the means God has given. We have to. Or else we won't do it. We'll think it's all for nothing. May we share the gospel with confidence. The gospel still saves souls today. It doesn't matter if it's in Northern Ireland or Malaysia or South America. The gospel still saves. Amen.